Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Giselle Bisson began her career as a journalist before becoming a Silicon Valley marketing executive with over 30 years of experience. She has personally worked with several major tech brands such as Intel, HP, Apple, Oracle, Google, and Microsoft, and has interviewed or worked personally with Steve Jobs, Atari founder Nolan Bushnell, Dr. Timothy Leary, John Gray, the author of Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, Don Miguel Ruiz, author of The Four Agreements, and musician Trevor Hall, among many others. However, despite her professional success, Giselle has suffered greatly in her personal life after years of flagging health that resulted from following a vegan diet for many years. Four years ago, she was severely injured, and her neurologist discovered autoimmune spindle diseases in, in the result for MRI. Fortunately, she gave up veganism and has found health through the reintroduction of animal foods. She is currently in the process of writing a book to share her story about her journey of recovery from vegan malnutrition. She is referred to herself as the Recovering Vegan, and you can find her on Twitter at Vegan Recovering and on Instagram at the Recovering Vegan. Excuse me. Giselle Bisson, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thank you for having me. I am so glad we connected. Uh, you and I have kind of been following each other on Twitter for a little while, and I started to see your content and kind of understand your story a little bit. And I even reached out to like host you on the show, and you were like, ah, I don't know, like maybe. And then it was a few weeks later that you were like, you know what? We have to do this. We have to get this message out. I'm so grateful that you were able to um, come on our show today and talk about your fabulous journey. Thank you. I was sort of postponing it because I was in the middle of the early stages of transitioning to the carnivore diet. And I don't know if it must be different for everybody, but the first three weeks were really rough. rough. And I was in no condition to be on a podcast. Yeah, no worries. I totally understand. We'll definitely get to that. Before we do, I wanted I wanted to ask you two questions. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw one out. With all of your work that you've done, you're sort of a big deal in the tech world. It's pretty cool. Um, You know, I, I, I knew about you from the health world, and so I didn't know that other aspect of you. And you've got to work with a lot of amazing people. So I wanted to ask you, who was like the really coolest person you've ever met that was just awesome to be around? And I was gonna ask you who like some asshole was <laughs> but i'm gonna leave that question um, i'm not gonna i'm sure you know many i'm not gonna touch that one that one's totally fine so i'm just gonna ask you who have you worked with in the past that most listeners would know that they were just like absolutely awesome and maybe you could like share a story or something well when i was a journalist i interviewed um nolan bushnell uh the founder of atari and he was he made a big impression on me in my after my career as a journalist, I went into public relations and the tech industry. And I would always remember what he said to me about his failures, you know, because Nolan would have a big failure and lose everything. And then he would bounce back and recover and and start a new career. And he's done that over and over again. Um, and he's quite famous for that. And he's really good at it. I mean, at the time that I interviewed him, which was in the 1980s or 90s, he was working on personal GPS. Wow. And that was considered completely weird. Like, well, what does anybody need a GPS for Right. in their car? Right. And another thing he was working on that was completely weird at the time was personal robots. Wow. Nobody could figure out what would anybody need a personal robot for? You know, now we have these robotic uh, vacuum cleaners and stuff. So he was really, really way ahead of his time. And and he used to say things like, well, business is a game where you keep score with money. (laughs) (laughs) 
But, you know, I, I mean, I, somebody like him, he, he and many of the other CEOs I worked closely with, I, I worked like very, very closely with many CEOs, including some famous C, uh, female CEOs like Sandra Kurtzig, who was one of the early um, CEO founders. I worked with Louise Wanier, who in, invented something that most of your readers or listeners um, might not remember. It was called VCR Plus. And that was back when we had VCRs and they were really hard to program in order to record a show. And she came up with a a relationship between the TV guide and the machine uh, and invented a technology that enabled people to program their VCR. She made millions and millions of dollars off that. And then I worked with Louise on, on some other companies that she started. So I had, you know, the opportunity to work with some really, really smart, you know, Harvard MBA. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm -hmm. Wow. Multi-millionaires and billionaires. And um, that career hit the skids when I had a car accident. I mean, my, my career started hitting the skids when I became a vegan. And um, I, I remember I was brought into HR and um, and she said, uh, you're too thin. Wow. And they also said I smelled funny. Wow. I smelled weird. I was too thin. And then they started, they didn't fire me, but they wouldn't let me go to client meetings or travel anymore. And they just started keeping me in the office hidden behind the scenes. And I sort of got the message and it was hard too socially because I couldn't, I mean, in at that time, which was around 2000 and early 2000s, um, nobody was a vegan yet. Now everybody is, but at that time, nobody was. And so there would be these catered meals and um, happy hours and everybody was drinking alcohol and eating pizza and everything. And I, I couldn't participate. And it made me sort of an oddball and not part of the team, you know? Yeah. Totally. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a great segue. I did want to talk about how, how you got into veganism to begin with. I would submit that I, frankly, I don't think there exists one vegan that went vegan for a, a horrible reason. It's always a great reason to go yes. vegan and it's for your health or for the animals or for the planet or whatever. Amazing. All of those are amazing reasons to go vegan. So, but, but to get there, you have to be interested in health and, and diet at some extent. So what was, what was your journey like? Like how did you progress through different, maybe dietary strategies before you got to veganism? Well, I was always really interested in healthy food and cooking. And I started as a vegetarian in the 1980s in college. And I saw a copy of a cookbook called um, Laurel's Kitchen. And I read that cover to cover. And then I was really into the Greens cookbook and the author, Deborah Madison, and uh, was very passionate about going to ashrams and yoga retreats and places like Esalen Institute and the San Francisco Zen Center. These were all the early pioneers of vegetarianism and then what later became veganism um, that usually came out of a spiritual community. And when I decided to go vegan, it was actually after I'd been eating meat for a while, I moved to the south of, I went to France on a kind of, a, you know, personal journey to learn about my ancestors and, and discover my French and Italian heritage. And I did genealogical research and then tried to find the villages of my ancestors. And I was very interested in what they ate. And I ended up 
through a series of synchronicities in the south of France, and I fell in love with a Frenchman. And he happened to be an organic food and wine expert, an agronomist. He's educated, the master's degree in, in this, and um, worked for the French government, helping them to market different organic foods. And we traveled around France together and visited farms and wineries, and, and we got all our food from a garden. And he taught me so much about agriculture and organic food. And after eating duck confit and even foie gras and, um, and, and the, the real true French cuisine and traveling all through these wonderful places, and, and one of the first things he fed me was escargot, but it, it escargot isn't this fancy thing in France. It's a peasant food. It's actually garden snails. Oh, wow. And, and you collect the snails out of the garden and then you put them in a, a little, like a terrarium and you feed them cornmeal until they fatten up and they clean out. And then you cook them with garlic butter. Wow. I did not know that. They didn't teach it's me that in French food. class. Wow. Most of the stuff we think of as like really classy French food is like rock bottom poverty food, you know, wow. and um, it's just different ways that that you utilize little bits of this and that and scraps. And a lot of French food is foraged. And we did a lot of foraging for wild blueberries and we we foraged at the ocean and we got um, we would buy fish from a fisherman and we would find um, anchovies, anchois. And anchovies are just these little tiny fish that you see when you're you're swimming in the ocean. They're very plentiful, and it's actually a very ecological, low on the food chain thing to eat. That doesn't harm the ecosystem. So I think in these countries where there's a long history of coexisting with nature, um, people have found a way to to harvest wild food without destroying the environment. And incorporating that in the diet as as a, as as a cultural history, you know, and it reminded me of when I was growing up. My dad, who who was French Canadian and grew up in New Hampshire on the Canada border, um, and grew up speaking French, and was very. Um, he used to hunt and fish, and every vacation we would go fishing for trout and, and wild fish and we would cook it and clean it and we would harvest and find um crayfish and little you know freshwater crabs and um, minnows and and we would hunt for blueberries and hunt for wild mushrooms and this is you know dandelions this is what we did even in the united states just a generation ago yeah and we ate a very heavy meat diet just a generation ago. Yeah. Yeah. And that's right. yeah, it's not that long ago that we strayed so far from our, our nutritional heritage. So I returned from France and I uh, got back to the United States. And, and the first thing I did, of course, is I went into a grocery store. And when I smelled the smell of, the meat department in like my local groceries, you know, we didn't have like the, the culinary magnificence that exists in the United States now at that time in 2001, 2002, it was pretty bad. 
And um, there, there weren't any cheeses like the cheeses I ate in France and there was no raw dairy and, um, you know, the eggs were factory farmed. And I started reading books about American food. I got interested in this and I, I read like Diet for a Small, Diet for a New Planet, John Robbins. I read um, Francis Moore LaPay and I read a book that was popular at that time, was a bestseller called Fast Food Nation. And when I got to the chapter and I'll never forget the moment I was like in my bed late at night reading this book and I got to the chapter where they talked about uh, factory farming and, and the, the relationship between the factory farms and the fast food industry and, and how awful it was. And I was almost sick to my stomach, you know, and I just thought, I just can't eat this stuff anymore. Yeah. I can't eat American meat. And so I started getting interested in, in veganism and reading about it. And that led me to a vegan cooking class. And I went to a vegan culinary academy called the Living Light Institute. And I was just totally enamored with my teacher. She was a, a protege of Anne Wigmore, who started the Hippocrates Institute. You know, one of the real, I, I studied one-on-one -on -one with some of the top vegan chefs and influencers and, and got deeply involved in it. But it was just after that weekend, I just went vegan overnight. Wow. Okay. So it sounds like you've always been concerned about health, but your transition to veganism was more like the taste of coming back to American meat after eating in France. Combine that with the ethics, the ethical side of things of like factory mm -hmm. farming's terrible. I can get away with not eating this at all. And you're learning how to prepare these wonderful vegan dishes. So yeah, grand slam. I mean, that would have been a multitude of reasons why you decided to start veganism. How and my yoga practice and, right. and this being ashrams and being more and more involved with the yoga and spiritual community. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, so people talk about the initial transition, that honeymoon period on veganism, and it's it, it's a good long while that things are working, they're working well. You learn how to combine different foods for proteins. Like, what was your experience when you first got started during the time that everything was, like, going swimmingly? Uh, oh, uh, well, first I felt great, and I think – Looking back, the reason is, first of all, you're eating tons of sugar. You're, you're, you've got a sugar high because you're eating so much fruit and dates and the desserts are, we made a lot of desserts that were raw vegan desserts. They're made with avocados and coconut and dates and they taste fabulous, but, uh, you know, you are getting a lot of sugar, even though there isn't any white sugar in these desserts are still very sweet. So you, you start getting really addicted to sugar. At yeah. least I should say I did. And um, the next thing that happens, of course, is you're with all these like super happy people. And that community is very well to do. A lot of wealthy people um, are drawn to veganism. And um, so you're hanging out with all these wealthy people and getting invited to all their gorgeous houses and everything. So it's kind of an exciting place to be. At least it was at that time. And I was hanging out with people like David Wolf and I was following around Gabriel Cousins, the doctor who's a vegan doctor and going to his meditations and his workshops. I mean, I was really, really into it. And this is why I get, um, so the culture was really fun. 
and um, very buoyant, exuberant at that time. And we really thought we were changing the world and, and doing the best thing for the planet, for the animals. Everybody had the best intentions. Yeah. So what happened with that community over time? Well, I started watching people deteriorate. And because I was living in a Vigo echo chamber, and I, I go like this, I had Vigo t- vegan tunnel vision because I lived in a vegan echo chamber. And then when social media came around, you know, all of this was pre-internet pretty much. And then when social media emerged around 2005, 2007, you know, first it was um, other social networks. And then we had like, like Rise. And then we had... Um, uh, Facebook. And so you would then, you know, I was just surrounded with, with this, this, with other vegans mostly. And even my family, I mean, my family was my cousins, my sister, my brother-in-law, all of our, um, family, uh, gatherings and Thanksgivings and everything were vegan. Yeah. Yeah. I was like really all vegan all the time. And then I started more and more, um, doing my public relations work, either in the tech industry, I worked for a company that had, uh, I worked for a vice president who was um, uh, an executive who was vegetarian, who was Indian. And I worked in a company where all of our meals were catered in vegetarian. And I traveled around with him and it was always, you know, vegetarian food in restaurants. And, um, and, and I was, then I started doing more and more sort of, uh, work with you mentioned some of these names like um, John Gray and um, Marianne Williamson and these different. Um, I, I worked uh, different for musicians and for events doing promotion uh, and PR and promoting vegan and vegetarian gatherings and events, festivals that were catered with vegan food, for example. Or, or vegan specific events. And I was just so into it. I didn't want to have anything in my life that wasn't part of this. Wow. It is a very engaging and appealing world for sure. And especially when you know for certain that you are doing the very best for your health and for the planet. Again, that it's so enticing. And so I totally understand that. I love asking former vegans if they were vegan in a certain time period, this question, because I, I haven't, I haven't heard one former vegan say that this was uh, not the case. So I'm going to ask you, in your time with veganism at that time, was anybody talking about planetary health? Or were they only talking about human health and, and other, the, the, you know, the ethics of, of killing animals? Was anybody talking about methane or CO2 or anything to do with the planetary oh, yeah. health? They were. Yeah, because we were part of a festival. Um, one of one of my public relations clients, Deborah Juicy, is a producer of the largest health festival on the West Coast, the Health and Harmony Festival. No longer exists, but at that time it was a huge, you know, fairgrounds festival with big name entertainers and um, speeches, and um, you know, a lot of the um, vendors. The food was all catered by people like Roxanne, the chef who wrote the book Raw. And I met all these people there, you know, and just it was just like a time when we all um, we didn't do it just for vanity. It was we really thought that uh, this would help 
with global warming. And um, at that time, Al Gore had just done The Inconvenient Truth. And that film was screened by Deborah at the Harmony Festival. And a lot of people that I knew personally were starting to do the training and, and pass that message on. And people were uh, just starting to, to build this, this awareness of the fact that, that the ice caps were melting and the planet was warming up. Wow. And the diet could contribute to that. That's so interesting. So, so every other former we, we vegan. Assumed, we assumed the diet contributed. Right, right, right. We all know that's garbage now. But yeah, again, most, most former vegans that I've asked who were vegan at that time, they've said that the planetary health thing didn't even come up at all. It wasn't, it's a, it's a much newer argument in favor mm-hmm. of veganism and something that they they've kind of shifted, you know, plant-based around. So I, I love that. I'm glad that I got your perspective on that. That's great. So what about for you personally, what about your personal health? When did your personal health, especially in hindsight, start to drop off? Oh, almost immediately. <laughs> I mean, like in hindsight, I, I think I started hanging out with um, another, you know, I started dating vegan guys and then I went, and I was hanging out with someone who had a business making flax crackers and we were so into it. I mean, we were growing our own wheatgrass and sprouting our own sprouts. We were juicing sprouts and wheatgrass and I was doing everything right. You know, as veganism goes, I was, I was as vegan as you could get. And I was, I was, um, and every time you had a health problem, the answer in the vegan community is you're not vegan enough. You've got to be more vegan. You got to vegan harder. You're not veganing hard enough. Why don't you go on a cleanse? Why don't you go on a fast? Get a colonic. You know, you must be full of toxins from back when you used to eat meat. Yep. And you got to detox that. It, it's impacted waste in your colon. This is the myth. It's like this stuff has no basis in science whatsoever. It's all garbage. I don't know where it comes from. Right. But it wasn't until we had this this information available on the Internet, which we have now, where we can go in and read studies in PubMed and you can see the science. And now that I can see the science, I can see that the science is is not uh, uh, the stuff that I was fed in the vegan community. It's really interesting. A lot of myths. A lot of myths. Yeah. The I, people in our world, you know, the low carbohydrate carnivore world, they're very careful about the way they talk about things. And if they cite a study that they're, they, they're very particular in the way they talk about it, the things that it showed, the things it doesn't show. And then they'll say things like, we think this might, we, we are, are predicting that our hypothesis is like, they're very clear on things. And when you listen to plant-based people, it's so circular. It just goes round and around without getting anywhere. And they'll say things like, everybody knows that vegetables are good for you. Experts agree that you should have more fruits and whole grains in your diet. And but if you keep going, keep asking questions, where is that study that says that that's the case? There's nothing. It doesn't exist, but it, it, but they use it and just go round and round and round. It's maddening. Because in that community, we don't trust science. We don't trust doctors. We don't trust science. We don't trust mainstream medicine. And so then when people started getting sick, the last place they were going to go is mainstream medicine, right? 
uh, for answers. And um, I think the first time I heard of someone in our little town getting sick, it was a, a young woman, still young. She wasn't even 50 yet. And she was a vegetarian activist very famous vegetarian activist and bicycle activist in San Francisco. And she died quite rapidly of cancer. And we had a huge, beautiful memorial for her. And I remember everybody thinking, well, how could she get cancer? She was such a good vegetarian, right? She was so healthy. She rode bicycles. She was fit. She was beautiful. Didn't make any sense. And so, you know, the, the idea that veganism and vegetarianism was the healthiest path, right? So ingrained in us that when someone who's a vegetarian gets sick, we would assume it was some sort of toxin in the environment. Yeah, has to be something different. It's not the diet, clearly. Couldn't be the diet. Couldn't be. No. Couldn't be the diet. And uh, then uh, another and another and another and another friend after friend after friend That's crazy. got cancer. And many were um, in their 50s. One had stomach cancer in his 40s. One had stomach cancer in his 50s. Uh, the next one was a woman who was in her 50s um, who came back from a juice cleansing retreat at the Hippocrates Institute where she was doing lots and lots of wheatgrass and she had jaundice and um, liver problems. She started vomiting blood and then she rapidly, very rapidly died of liver cancer. And everybody said, well, gosh, imagine how sick she would have been if she wasn't doing all that wheatgrass. That's remarkable. That's crazy. Wow. So sad. Right? Yeah. Nobody could put it together and say maybe the wheatgrass was what made her sick. Yep. Yep. That's right. You told me some crazy things offline about your community. And I do want to come back to that because I think it's absolutely fascinating and absolutely tragic. Before we do, again, like looking back hindsight, before you got to what we would say is rock bottom where you had to consider, you know, eating animal foods, which must have been very, very difficult. What what things was specific? I'm sure it was awful. What things specifically were you dealing with health wise? Like what were some of the things that you noticed? But, well, when I first, you know, the early stages of my, the, the vegan health problems come in stages. You have the problems that you get. I was about 40 when I went vegan. And so the first problems I started having were cold fingers. I was cold all the time, freezing cold, shivering in bright sunlight. I lost my menstrual period. I went completely flat chested. I went from normally a C or D cup to like an A cup literally like flat as a board. I lost so much weight that I could fit only in size zero. And then I had to shop in the girls department. So, you know, you get to this point where is this veganism or is this an eating disorder? Yeah. There, there, are, there, I did see more and more people who were uh, extreme emaciation. Um, I had a, that was sort of the stage one. Um, then I started seeing some different health practitioners and doctors, and uh, they said, well, you need to eat omega-3 fatty acids. You need to eat eggs. You need to eat butter. And I'm like, oh, butter, eggs, no way, you know? I'm not eating that. And <clears throat> the problem is when you haven't been eating those things for a long time, you can't digest them. That's right. 
you lost the ability to digest them. So I would feel really sick, very, very ill when I tried to eat those things. And I was trying to gain weight. I was just forcing uh, anything. And I found the only thing that really would put any weight on was to eat bags of potato chips. Which now we know about seed oils, couldn't have eaten anything worse. But at least I was getting the calories and I was able to to put some weight on and warming up my body. So it took a while before I was able to introduce eggs back into my diet. And that happened when I lived on a rural property and we were raising our own chickens. So um, I was very unhealthy at that point. And that was around 2012. I had just gotten back from this music festival where I was doing in Mexico for the end of the Mayan calendar where I did all the PR and brought 70 uh, 70 members of the international press to talk about the end of the world. And everything was, of course, vegetarian and vegan. And, um, and I got really, 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 really sick. And I was that was probably what I thought was my first rock bottom really, really ill in a foreign country and unable to, to, I was just stuck in a tent basically for a month, vomiting and diarrhea. And it might've been dengue fever or something. I don't know. A month, a month like that. Well, I had friends coming in, checking on me and paying my bill there and bringing me juice or water and uh, finally managed to just to get to a doctor about some antibiotics and, and managed to get home, fly home. And that was when I started eating the eggs and taking a lot of supplements, but the eggs, we were so, this is another thing that happens to you when you go super vegan, nobody wants to hire you anymore. And you're so spaced out that you start getting broke. Right. So I went from being this six figure computer executive to uh, struggling and, you know, my boyfriend and I are growing our own chickens for eggs and growing our own kale and juicing our own wheatgrass. And we're feeding the chickens bread that we're getting, stale bread. So the eggs were making us sick because they were eating gluten. The wow. chickens were eating. I now have the knowledge that when you feed an animal grains or soy or uh canola the the eggs have omega-6 fatty acids rather than the omega-3 which is what we want we want the the animal to be eating uh bugs foraging right eating their natural more carnivorous diet and only having grain as a supplement if, if they need a little extra calories you know so um of course you know the eggs didn't help me that much and um, in 2014, I I was getting uh, sick all the time. I just had nonstop um, colds, asthma. Uh, I was hypersensitive to mold. I was just sick. And I started getting really bad cystic acne. You see this a lot in the vegan recovery videos. You go on YouTube and you go on Instagram. The vegans have this cystic, horrible red blotches all over their faces and it's like uh cysts that you can't you can't there's nothing there's no fluid in them you can't just pop them they're like cysts i was also getting boils i had anemia a very severe anemia pernicious anemia and i was trying to treat the anemia by taking iron tonics vegetarian iron tonic 
rather than a, an animal-based solution. Um, I, uh, you know, this, this went on and on. And then by um, 2017, the problems became more mental. So my brain wasn't functioning. Yeah. Uh, I started to feel some pain in my joints. Um, I did occasionally eat a little bit of meat. I would eat meat on my menstrual period once a month, sometimes, uh, because the bleeding was so bad. And I'm just going to be really frank with you. Um, this is another thing that can happen with the vegan diet because you have anemia. The anemia creates a vicious cycle where you become low in vitamin B12, which causes the anemia. The anemia causes the bleeding. You're low in vitamin K, so you don't clot, and the bleeding gets worse and worse and worse. And what I didn't see going on in my body behind the scenes was a large fibroid tumors that had formed inside my pelvic cavity. Um, you know, you and I now know about oxalate. Of course, I knew nothing about oxalate at that time. And since the beginning of my veganism, the primary source of nutrition for me was green smoothies yep. and green soups yep. using the Ann Wigmore Hippocrates Institute method of giant blender loads of greens. And I thought I was really doing it right. I mean, I grew my own greens. I harvested wild dandelions. I used organic avocados. I put, uh, you know, organic lemons in there. I was really, really overdoing the oxalate. Yeah, I, you you think about you know that. about oxalate then, right? You think about that smoothie, and knowing what you know now, that smoothie is a horror show, a horror show, terrible. I did the same thing. Tons of spinach. All the oh, you did it too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Every morning, and with the almond milk and the beets and the spinach, handfuls of spinach, and you're in the in the blender makes it even worse. It's like mechanically chopping everything up, and making everything more absorbable by your body. Like people think they're doing themselves a favor. That that is straight up toxic poison. Thank you for saying that. Because when I tell my friends that, they think I'm nuts. No, people and will suffer. I would put it all in my Vitamix, which I paid over $500 for. And I've, I've, I traveled with a blender. I wouldn't go anywhere without a smoothie or a blender or a, a you know, I thought it was uh, so healthy. Wow. I did too. I forgot about that until you said that. I did too. I was just religious about it. And then, you know, the juices and then spending a fortune, $9 juices and $12 smoothies and, and hanging out in these these really beautiful vegetarian restaurants all the time and eating these really expensive quinoa bowls, right? The big quinoa bowl yeah. with with kale on top of it and almonds and then maybe a nice chai on the side with almond milk in it horrible, and a horrible. nice nut pie for dessert. Ugh. Yeah, and terrible, terrible. Top it all off with a green juice, you know, and it. And all of that was just building up in my joints. So now we get to, you think every time you hit rock bottom, you think you've gone as low as you possibly can go in your life. And what you don't realize is there's another level that's lower. Mm. And, you know, I, if I can even convince anybody out here to recognize that they're in just an early stage of rock bottom, don't let yourself go any lower. Yeah. 
So how did you no, get yourself out? You know, how did you get yourself out? Well, what what happened is in 2018, and I was already getting, I was starting to turn around a little bit. And part of the reason was I worked for this Argentinian CEO. And he was forcing me. I remember the first time my business partner, who has since unfortunately passed away, vegetarian business partner who had uh, cancer and died a few years ago. But she and I went to this really trendy vegetarian restaurant. We took our client there for our first business meeting. And he walked in, strolled off the plane from Buenos Aires or Brazil or wherever he was coming in from. And he looked at the foods that we had ordered and he almost spat on them. And he said, this is parrot food. I wouldn't even feed this to my bird. <laughs> and he said, do you have any meat in here? And so he ordered that the only thing that had any meat in it had maybe some chicken. And he ate it with absolute disgust and picked around all the vegetables. And he said, from now on, if you work for me, we're going to be eating the right proper kinds of food, you know. And then he took me to a barbecue um, one of my meetings with him to, to, to meet some, some scientists and we were on the grounds of NASA and it was really cool. We're barbecuing on these. NASA has these barbecues in Mountain View near the Google offices that are like made out of rockets, like the top of the fuselage. Very cool. <laughs> turn it upside down, turn it into this giant barbecue pit. Amazing. And so, you know, it's cold and it's like, it's a cold day, I remember. And they had marinated all this steak. And they were really proud of it. There was red wine and there was steak and maybe a little salad. And there were some special sauces, wonderful sauces, Argentinian sauces. And of course I had to eat it, right? With my client. This guy's feeding me, he's paying my, paying my bills. I've got to be polite. And I took a bite of his really amazing Argentinian steak. And every person who eats meat again for the first time after a long time will kind of, you can remember it. It's almost like losing your virginity or something, right? And it was like the lights came on. You know, it's like, bing. it was like my brain rebooted. That's what they you know? all say. That's what you all say. It was <laughs> eggs were okay. I had some chicken and it was fine. I had red meat and m m fireworks in my brain for the first fireworks time in, your brain. in 40 years. And I warmed up and I wasn't so cold and I started eating more and started eating more, you know. And then, of course, I didn't eat meat again for a while until he took me to a dinner party or took me out to eat or we were at a conference or something. And there was just there was meat around and I started eating it. So I think that really started turning my life around. I started making money again. My business was flying. You know, things were going really good. And um and I was out of, I was starting to get involved with cryptocurrency and doing, I had a PR agency for crypto. And we were, you know, we were flying high. <clears throat> I was in LA for a crypto conference and I took a, a ride sharing vehicle that night on the way home from a dinner. And um, I was in a car accident and um, my spine twisted, my neck twisted in such a way 
that, uh, you know, it, it was a re- fairly minor accident, maybe for most people. But what I didn't know is that my spine was so deteriorated at that point that it ended up being very serious. And um, I had MRIs and saw um, I was I couldn't walk anymore. I was in intractable uh, head to toe pain. Um, I mean, I think the the rock bottom was being in bed and just in a fetal position and crying and in so much pain, thinking, I just don't know if, if I can continue living. Wow. You know, it, it's I can't go on with every day of my life, every minute of my life being this painful. And I saw many, many doctors and neurologists and specialists and um, went to, to chiropractors, I had chiropractic work, and then I found a, a, a traveled long distances to a doctor who was able to read my MRI and see what was really going on inside there. Unfortunately, you know, they also discovered other stuff going on in my body. When I saw those MRIs, I was filled with tumors. Um, um, my whole body cavity, my uterus, uh, my cervix, and just the whole pelvis um, was filled with hundreds and hundreds of what they call fibroid tumors, or um, they're considered non-cancerous. They're benign tumors. But when the doctor said, oh, don't worry about those, those are benign, I just thought, yeah, but what's going on? Why do I have hundreds of tumors inside my body? This isn't normal. You know, and one of them was about this big and it was blocking my bladder. So my bladder was, was, you know, like half of the size, right? It should be. So there were a lot of things that I was aware of for years and years that were starting to, to go wrong inside my body. I could kind of feel it in there, you know, but I didn't know what it was. And it's hard to get MRIs. They're very, very expensive. And um, so it wasn't until the spinal injury that I was able to see that something was wrong. And um, I remember when I first got those MRI results, I just, I cried, I cried and cried. And then I just thought, uh, I started realizing that maybe veganism was the reason. Wow. Maybe veganism did this to me. And then I was pissed. When you realize that veganism might have been the reason you're sick, you're angry. Yeah. You feel betrayed. I was pissed. I was really, really angry. And I formed uh, this, this Twitter profile, Recovering Vegan, and I chose that name just for the moment. I just felt like an addict like an alcoholic that was recovering. I was recovering from this eating disorder, the psychological disorder of veganism. I was starting to form this, this idea in my head at that time that, that there was something uh, really wrong with this, this programming that we all had that was telling us to voluntarily um, harm ourselves. Right. And uh, here I was very, very, very sick in so much all over body pain. And um, 
and visiting doctors three times a week for physical therapy and, and going through laser treatments, cold laser therapy, physical therapy, um, barely able to walk from my car to the doctor's office, seeing all these people coming in there with, with wheelchairs and then discovering that I had MS, that I had ankylosing spondylitis, that I had multiple autoimmune diseases in the spine, right? So, so where did this all come from? So I started following doctors. I started following people like you. I started following Sally Norton. I started following Paul Saladino and Sean Baker, um, following different people in the keto community, um, mainly because a disabled girlfriend of mine told me that there were people who were having some success with the keto diet if they had pain. Wow. So, and then I, there was a friend of mine on Facebook who said that he was having some success with eating an all meat diet uh, for his pain. And that just seemed so repulsive and gross, <laughs> you know, that eating meat or eggs or fish was hard enough, but just the thought of eating nothing but meat seemed really disgusting at that time. So it's really been a process. I mean, it's taken me over since that first bite of meat. It's taken me almost four years wow. to get to the point where I'm eating a carnivore diet. Yeah, which you started on World Carnivore Month, which was January of 2023. Um, and yeah, you said you had some adjusting, um, which is really uncomfortable. There was one time that you and I were messaging and you were talking about the gunk buildup on your teeth. <laughs> like, holy, that oxalate. Yeah, that oxalate, that's one of the ways it comes out. And that's the tricky thing about consuming oxalates is you have to be so careful, not only consuming them, but the way you back off of them. Because when they come out, they're going to come out maybe more violently than they went in. And it might be completely different symptoms that you might not even know about. So crazy to well, hear about same, that. The same symptoms all over again. Sure. Yeah. So I was re-experiencing the symptoms that I had years ago when I was on the all smoothie green diet and those things would happen to my body. And I thought my, you know, my friends would say, you're detoxing. Right. Yeah. So more a- vegan, be more vegan, try a water fast, <laughs> try drinking your own urine, <laughs> you know, maybe if you drink your urine, I remember, okay, you want to hear some bad vegan stories. I went on a date once when I was a vegan with a vegan guy and he said, can we go back to my hotel room quickly? I just need to do something. And I'm like, this is a weird pickup line. <laughs> and he pulled out this giant stainless steel bowl. And he peed in it and he drank it in front of me. In front of you. And he says, oh, and I also put it on my hair. (laughs) And then he told me he was like 70 years old or some incredible advanced age. And he literally looked like a teenager. I mean, he looked so weirdly, bizarrely young for his age that it was almost, you know, it was strange. But he, he was very, very thin. And he had dark hair, but yeah, he did kind of smell like urine, you know, and uh, that was the last date I had with that guy. Wow. <laughs> no second date. <laughs> uh, right before you go out to dinner, he's oh. having a, or go to a concert or something. Wow. Anyway, and now I'm, you know, reading about, I mean, urine therapy is another thing. It's just absolute BS. Wow. 
Yeah. And once we know about oxalate and the, the, the detoxing that you go through when you're detoxing oxalate, uh, which is it's largely through the urine. Yeah. You certainly don't want to be drinking that back. Absolutely not. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Yeah, crazy. Okay, so obviously, again, there was an adjustment period. How long did that adjustment period take? What things did you suffer through in the beginning as you switched over to a full carnivore diet? And then what start? What what sort of benefits have you noted since the adjustment period? Okay, so I started on January 1, and uh, I made this blythe you know, it was just totally in passing. I wrote on Twitter, well, I'm thinking of trying World Carnivore Month. And I went viral and my post reached 275,000 people. And I just thought, oh, dang, now I really have to do this. (laughs) I can't go back on my New Year's resolution with the whole world watching me, right? I've got to do this. And it really forced me to stick with it because the first couple of days were horrible. I just, it was, uh, because I had eaten so much oxalate, the, uh, you know, the all oxalate diet for 18 years of daily green smoothies. Um, the, the, the detoxing was extreme at first. I don't think, most people would experience this. There was only one other woman I connected with on Twitter who was having the same problem. And she was also a former long-term vegan who had done a lot of superfoods and smoothies. And um, I had received coaching behind the scenes from Sally Norton and Monique Attenjay and um, from also the head of of Weston Price from you, uh, from several other Oxlit coaches on Twitter who were guiding me and giving me pep talks behind the scene and telling me to stick with it, don't give up. But I had diarrhea literally 10 times a day. Yeah. Um, I was running to the bathroom and I thought I've been um, helping caretake my mother who recently had C. difficile bacteria and has had a lot of intestinal infections and sepsis and stuff. And I thought maybe I'd caught this from my mother or caught it in one of the nursing homes. I was ready to go to the uh, ER. I was really worried. Uh, And it was through the, the coaching that I got from other people in the carnivore community. They said, well, you know, have a little bit of oxalate and slow it down. So a handful of blueberries, um, continue drinking coffee or have a a cup of tea, um, do something high oxalate to help slow it down. And that did help. But I really was committed to getting this stuff out of my body. And uh, I was really hardcore at first. I was really trying hard to do everything right. And uh, I was making my own bone broth with um, marrow bones and then saving the, um, the fat from it to use to cook with, making my own cooking fats. I was uh, eating um, a steak almost every day. <laughs> and uh, then I started, I mean, I just kept 
experimenting with different combinations of food to find what would work with my body. And, you know, it's funny that the standard carnivore diet, right? You hear people eat beef, bacon, ruminant meat, uh, eggs, butter, and sometimes raw dairy and lots of salt. And occasionally carnivores also drink coffee with a lot of fat in it. And lo and behold, I tried all different things. I tried shrimp. I tried crab. I tried all different kinds of fish. I tried different kinds of, of, of duck, of poultry, <clears throat> chicken, turkey, uh, different kind, you know, pork. But in the end, what makes me feel best is eating the standard carnivore diet. Yep. Ruminant meat. Yep. Right. It seems to work best. Like just a couple hours ago before this uh, show, I had a bison steak, a bison ribeye, which I cooked in, in bacon fat. And I feel fantastic. Yeah. I, it's so interesting now that I've coached so many people through the carnivore diet, there is a, a definite progression there. I can't stand to look at meat. I don't like meat. I don't want to touch it. Okay, my health is tanking. My brain isn't working. So maybe I'll have a little nibble of an egg. Maybe I'll have a bit of chicken. I can do a little bit of fish. Things are getting a little better. Red meat is still a absolutely repulsive. I don't want to look at red meat. It's gross. Let me try a little okay, let me try a little, okay, let me try a little. And ev the taste for everything else seems to just drop right off a cliff. And it's like red meat is exactly what you needed. Your body starts, it's intuitive eating. Your body starts telling you what it wants. Yep. And if you listen to your body and really tune in uh, and listen to how you feel after you eat something, like uh, I was visiting one of my vegan friends and he made me this coconut milk turmeric chai stuff with all of his little superfoods in it and he was really proud of it and he really wanted me to drink it and I had some just to humor him but I knew that my intestines were going to start churning and that is the only time in the last 50 days that I've felt indigestion is when I eat these spices Restaurant food, um, anything with a barcode on it, yep. you know, whenever uh, shrimp, um, the shrimp scampi that's pre-made, anything pre-made, uh, anything packaged. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's really the, the most restrictive diet imaginable, but it's also very pure. It's purer than what we thought was pure as vegans. That's right. And and it depends on how you look at restrictive. It is restrictive in the sense that you're not eating many foods, but it's completely unrestrictive for how much you can have and the boundless amounts mm -hmm. of energy that you can have on the back end. That's unrestrictive. Boundless energy when you're awake, but then as soon as you go to sleep, boom, out like a light. Yep get way more efficient sleep. So I find I wake up way earlier and, and I, I'm almost like in a panic, like I think I should go back to sleep, but my energy's good. I never feel tired during the day. I don't need a nap. I'm just like, okay, I got all the sleep I needed. Now I can go be productive. I can go do something. It's great. It's, it's like being on a, I describe it as sort of like being on a limitless drug. It's awesome. I know. That's a great way to describe it. That's a great way to describe it. Okay, so World Carnivore Month ends end of January. And I want to say, 
I don't know if you tweeted something. I, I think I just asked you. I, I maybe just DM'd you and said, like, hey, what, what are you going to do? I'm just curious, honest question. Like, do you think you're going to continue with the carnivore diet? And and maybe you you tweeted about it or something, but I remember the tweet the next day that said, February 1, I, I, I'm going to keep doing this. Yeah. Why did you decide that you wanted to continue doing carnivore? Because I think I ate something that wasn't carnivore. Yep. And I felt lousy again, and I had an IBS flare, and I realized, wow, it's it's just not a coincidence. Uh, this is not all in my head. When I eat spices, pepper, garlic, um, any kind of sauces, anything that has uh, seed oil or canola oil in it, um, anything from a package, <laughs> I I go back to feeling terrible again. Yeah. The all over body pain, the flares, the joint pain, trouble walking. It's like I describe it as sort of like Cinderella and the pumpkin. <laughs> you know? So you just all oh, you're feeling great as a carnivore and then you go back to eating quote normal food and all of a sudden you feel like crap again. It's like the coach turns into a pumpkin almost immediately. It's not a gradual process like damn like party's over you feel like awful yeah right terrible and that's why i think of the carnivore diet is so self-selecting and actually don't mind when my clients go cheat because they will pay the price for sure and learn the lesson and so i don't care where you are on the journey you will naturally find your perfect food you'll feel really good on it i loved your your tweet the next day that said you're going to keep going i contrast that with um, uh, i think it was facebook somebody in my neighborhood posted uh, day 31 it, it, january 31st i just finished veganuary which i don't know who was first world carnivore month or veganuary and she well, was like <laughs> maybe <laughs> but she was like i i'm so sick of veganism i like where's the best barbecue joint <laughs> right Good for oh yeah and i wanted to post the two as a contrast one person just finished vegan veganuary and can't wait to get off of it one person just finished the carnivore diet and can't wait to stay on it it's so different it's so different to contrast the two of those i thought that was great well i suffered for so long yeah. and i feel like i lost a good you know two decades of my life really lost it. I lost, and to be super blunt, I lost my fertility as a vegetarian and later as a vegan, I lost my chance to have a baby. Yeah. I miscarried and miscarried and miscarried. And this is another thing that you'll hear over and over again from vegan women. And uh, I lost my beauty during the prime of my life. I lost my skin during the prime of my life. I lost my ability to walk and I lost my best friends. How much loss can you suffer? I lost my brain function. You know, I became so absent-minded and, and unable to really focus that I couldn't function in my career anymore. And part of that was the injury that I suffered, but part of it was the malnutrition. I now have learned through the extensive research and following all these wonderful experts in social media and Twitter that vitamin B12 is not just a pill. It's not just a, a minor 
thing. It's very, 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 very important nutrient, very essential nutrient, and it's only in animal foods. Um, another big wake-up call was learning that it's not just vitamin B12 that you can only get from animals. There are 20 essential nutrients only found in the animal kingdom. 20. Google it. And um, these include carnitine, creatine, uh, vitamin D3, vitamin K2, uh, saturated fat, cholesterol. Saturated fat and cholesterol are not bad. They're important. They're, your brain is made out of cholesterol. and Your brain needs saturated fat in order to function. So, uh you know, and then it, it, it's complicated. When you start explaining this stuff to people, they glaze over, they tune out, they don't want to hear it because it is not a simple story, right? Yeah, no, that's a and really good point. Very complicated. Yep. It's uh, it's not just a matter of you need vitamin B or you need protein. It's a lot more complicated than that. When we get into anti-nutrients, and the fact that plants don't want to be eaten, that plants form toxins as a defense mechanism because they don't have claws. That's right. They can't run away. So plants form these toxins as a way to, to evade uh, pests and, uh, and animals from eating them. Yep, that's exactly right. That's right. Right. Wow. Okay. So you're talking about all this wonderful support and help that you've gotten from social media. That means you haven't gotten any pushback whatsoever, right? No vegans have sent you. <laughs> oh, yesterday, one of my best friends, she lectured me. She said, you know, you got to stop talking about meat. You're grossing people out. You can't cook meat at my house. You can't eat meat when you're here. You got to stop cooking meat, you know? And I just thought, well, uh, it, this is tough. You know, it, it becomes very isolating, worse isolation than veganism was when I first went vegan to suddenly be, um, you know, if I don't eat, I, I find now that if I don't eat exclusively uh, animal-based diet, I'm sick. Yeah. I'm really, really sick. I mean, it's sick to the point of just lying in bed all day, and running to the bathroom every five minutes, I'm not able to function mentally uh, in intractable pain, can't sleep at night. So are you telling me that you want me to suffer like that yeah. for the animals? Yeah. And, and as I spend more time, I'm on a road trip right now and I'm taking pictures and posting them on Instagram and Facebook of visiting animals and I love to visit, you know, I've been visiting the sheep, the goats, I visited the cows. Yesterday I visited some chickens. And I love taking these videos of animals and I'll say, hey guys, what's up? I talk to them. It's like, so you being abused? How's it going? You know, they're fine. They're fine. I have not found any abused animals anywhere. I'm not seeing this, quote, abuse that everybody – and then they'll say, well, you're not going to factory farms. You know, it's like you don't have to eat stuff from factory farms. Nobody says you have to eat that stuff. Right. There are alternatives. 
And the more we support the alternatives, the more we support the small independent farmers, the more we're willing to drive an hour or two out to the countryside and visit a roadside stand or go to a country farmer's market and get the good stuff, the more those people can make an income and the more they can thrive and, and produce the good products and treat the animals right. No, I absolutely love that. I think of the the number of times I drive to the store and the carbon emissions doing that versus going, like you said, make one trip a hundred miles, buy a quarter of a cow, come back and have your freezer stocked for a good long while with really great tasting beef. It's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a good idea. I wish I had that freezer, but I live close enough to some stores now that have some pretty good options. That's great. And, um, and you know, urban dwellers actually have a better selection often than people who live in the country right next to the farms. Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I want to co- go back to something you mentioned earlier that we talked about offline. You are physically, literally still in the vegan community. So first of all, what is it like to be a carnivore in the vegan community? How well have you been, you know, your transition been received? And then also describe describe what you told me and what you alluded to earlier about what you're noticing as far as the health deterioration inside the vegan community physically around you. Um, well, I don't have very many, I'm 60. I'm a little bit younger than most of my friends and I'm watching them disappear. They're dying. And, um, many of them are dying from, uh, sudden onset blood cancers, Breast cancer seems to be off the charts. Um, I know at least a dozen women who have stage four breast cancer right now. I know a lot of people who've had a large, very large tumors removed from their uteruses uh, or have had to have hysterectomies. Um, I know a lot of people who've recently had heart surgery not even 60 years old. This doesn't make sense. And um, I know there are a lot of other things that were a lot of other challenges right now. Some people have been having adverse reactions to COVID, long COVID. Some other people are having adverse reactions to the vaccines. Uh, But this is, I think, another challenge that we're facing is that we're not eating our human appropriate diet. And when people say, well, everybody's different. They say, that might work for you. And I said, you're a type O blood type. You're just eating for your blood type. And I said, no, you know, there really is a human diet. Just like your cat eats a cat appropriate diet. Your dog eats a dog appropriate diet. That's pretty much the same as every other dog needs. Your cat eats pretty much the same stuff every other cat needs. And pretty much every human needs the same thing too. Yeah. And this idea that we're all really different, I think, is where we, uh, we lose sight of the fact that, that the human diet was mostly, we're obligate carnivores. We ate mostly meat for over 2 million years. And then 10,000 years ago, agriculture began and we started domesticating animals as well as eating grains. 
Uh, again, is that the diet of kings or is that the diet of slaves? Yeah, that's what and was do so. Do you want to eat like a king or do you want to eat like a slave? That's what was so ironic about what you said earlier. All these rich, fancy people making tons of money and purposely choosing peasant food. Like, it makes no sense. It only makes sense if you've been told that that's a good thing to do. Yeah, good point. And I think it's disinformation. It's misinformation. I don't think, you know, there are people who who believe there's some sort of a big agenda um, that this is being done to, to deliberately harm us. Uh, some person is pulling the strings and and making this happen. I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that. If you ask someone, would your grandmother recognize this as food? Would your great-grandmother recognize this as food? Would your great-great-great-great-grandparents recognize this as food? Great. And if they wouldn't recognize it as food, and that's in, in your ethnic group, in your heritage, what did your ancestors eat? I know in my heritage my ancestors were dairy farmers so obviously not only am i able to tolerate the dairy from cows but i probably need it in thrive um my my ancestors were hunters they were trappers they caught a wild animals right and ate a lot of wild game my father was a hunter i grew up eating animals a lot of wild game, a lot of wild birds, uh, deer, um, elk. You know, uh, my father was really into uh, organ meat. You know, um, in the 1960s when I was a kid, organ meat was a typical thing that everybody ate. And um, uh, it was even served in school lunches. We had beef liver once a week in wow. the cafeteria. Wow. As kids. It's go go Google it. You know, look up old kids' menus from the 60s and the 50s. Look up old restaurant menus. Look at old cookbooks. What did we used to eat? Yep. It was mostly meat. Yep. And we ate all parts of the animal. And we ate a lot of things that were considered poverty food that used all the parts of the animal together. I know Dr. Ken Berry, who I love, he's just such a hoot, right? I think he posted the other day that somebody was complaining about hot dogs. Like, oh, hot dogs are gross. There's every part of the animal and they're all ground up. Yeah. And Ken said, that's exactly what you should be eating. All the parts of the animal. <laughs> that's fantastic. He's the best. <laughs> We used to eat that when I was a kid. You know, we used to eat these things like scrapple, which was made of, of all the different parts of the pig, kind of a cheap thing with cornmeal in it, and you poured maple syrup on it and butter. Um, you know, we would eat liverwurst sandwiches and a liver liver pate, this like cheap liver stuff that was in a can. And that was often what you had in your school lunches. I mean this was normal. Yeah. This was normal food growing up in the 60s. Yep. Well, when I can... people were healthy, there was one fat kid in the school. Yep. There was the fat kid. Yep. Yeah. No, I. The fat kid. Yep. Just one. And even then, probably by today's standards, wouldn't even be considered fat to begin with. Wouldn't even be considered fat by today's standards. And that kid had diabetes. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. No, the community center that I go to to go lift weights is connected to an elementary school. And so when it's recess time, you get to see them running around and you can just see it. They are hopped up on sugar hundred percent. And a lot of them are overweight. <laughs> a lot of them have behavior problems and they can't focus. The, the teacher, the poor PE teacher is trying to contain like not, really not that many kids and they, they, they're scattered everywhere. So yeah, we really see that play out. It's so sad. It's so tragic to hear about everybody around you, people you care about, your friends. And yeah, maybe some vegans are attacking you and say nasty things about you online, but these are still your friend. Like this, this is your community. You've been in this community for a long time. And I just think the journey that you had to go on to get to this point, to then be willing to not only confront the cognitive dissonance that you would have had thinking that this is the very best thing for so many different reasons to be able to go through all that. And then to turn around and share your story and try to help others, I think is absolutely wonderful. I'm so grateful. For Thank you. Courage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You did ask me a question and I didn't answer you. If there's just a second to answer your question about the, the other day, I went to a concert. Uh, a man who's a spiritual musician uh, approached me and um, he's sort of famous and he's uh, very respected in, in my community and he's a long term vegan. And he walked up to me and said, There's something I have to tell you. And I was like, Oh, no. I could just see it happening. You know, he's going to scold me for eating meat and talking about meat. And I was sweating and hyperventilating. And he said, I haven't told very many people this, but I've been really sick for a really long time. And I couldn't digest anything. And everything I tried to eat, I would vomit up. And I had COVID five times. And I kept getting COVID over and over again. And I thought I was dying. And I've been following what you've been writing on social media. And I started eating meat again. And he says, I'm a carnivore now. <laughs> and he hugged me and he thanked me. He said, thank you. Thank you. You know, uh, he says, I feel great. And uh, he's, he's on his way back to health. But it's not overnight. It's not like you overnight start feeling great. It's a long road. Yeah, but it's the right road and gets you back to a place you couldn't imagine when you're as sick and as suffering as much as you have. That's so amazing no. that you're able to help people and, and hear those stories. Somebody that could have given you a lecture, it tells you the real story of what's going on. I, I absolutely love that. I've got so much respect for you and I'm just so grateful for you to have the time to come on our show today and to be willing to share your message. It's been such a fun chat. Where would you like people to go to find you and connect with you and your work? Uh, well, you can follow me on Instagram at The Recovering Vegan. Facebook at Recovering Vegan or Twitter at Vegan Recovering or The Recovering Vegan. And I'll soon have a website and I'm working on a book and it will either be called The Recovering Vegan or Green Smoothies Ruined My Life. Ask me why. Both are great working titles. I absolutely love both of them. I will be the first one in the pre-order line to get them. Um, yeah, it's just such a, a cool thing that you're doing. It's amazing that you went through all of that again, suffered so much, but are now willing to share your story and to tell your story. So thank you so very much, Giselle, for everything that you've done. And thank you for the time to be on our show today. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you for helping us spread the word. And I hope if anybody out there is not eating meat and feels afraid to eat meat that you start following people like Casey and Dr. Saladino, Sean Baker, Ken Berry, um, 
There's some other really great doctors out there and uh, they're really presenting scientific evidence. It's not emotion. Yep. It's all based in science yep. and that's, medicine. That's right. And just like Monique and Sally, I am willing to bet that they didn't charge you a single dime to reach out and ask questions. It's a very supportive community. So yes, if you're out there, yeah. you have questions, please let us know so we can help you. It, 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 yeah, you just need some coaching and we're more than willing to help out with that. Giselle, thank you again so very much for coming on our show today. Really appreciate you. Thank you. Absolutely. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. At the close of one year and the beginning of a new year, I just wanted to make sure to thank you, the listener, for all of your support and for listening to our show. 2022 was an amazing year that saw lots of growth with the podcast, but also came with amazing results with the people that we get to work with in our business, Boundless Body. We began our business during the confusion of the 2020 pandemic and opened up in July of that year. And we've been absolutely amazed with how things have gone. It was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears and a lot of building the plane as we were flying it, but it's turned out amazing. We just absolutely love seeing our clients get amazing results. We love seeing all the great feedback and positive reviews that come through on Apple. So if you haven't already, please leave us a review there on Apple as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and impact the lives of people all over the world. We're super excited for 2023. We already have lots of great guests and topics lined up, and we have no intention of slowing down our releases anytime soon. Also, feel free to check out our premium content, which we post on Patreon. There you will find our extended and unedited episodes, which we post on the day of recording. So you actually don't have to wait for the edited version of the podcast to release, which can sometimes be several weeks, actually. And on Patreon, you will also find the Boundless Body Radio premium podcast. This was my special project this year. I really wanted to combine all of the very best clips about one topic from our show to combine into extended episodes that take a very deep dive into a topic. I've created two separate topics as a masterclass that are three episodes each. One is all about the macronutrients and the second is all about keto and ketogenic diets. That way you can get a fantastic education from some of our amazing guests in a format that can help you zero in on the topic that you are most interested in. Something I'm very proud of and believe that we are sharing this content for a very high value. Remember that you can also book a complimentary 30-minute session with us on our website at myboundlessbody.com. And thank you again so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio.